This is Albert Bouchard, founder of Blue Oyster Cult, and you are listening to the Godless Heathens Podcast. Welcome to Godless Seasons. This is Dr. Vincent West, medical doctor. Got a killer interview for you today. Fucking Albert Bouchard. Who is founding member and drummer of Blue Oyster Cult. Can't believe I got to talk to this guy. He has a new solo album out. It's out now. Enjoy that. And enjoy Godless Heathens and enjoy this amazing interview with Albert Bouchard and Blue Oyster Cult. from Blue for Cult, and he has a new solo album called Reimagine Us, and that is coming out uh, through uh, Deco Music, and we're going to be talking with him about that today, and of course BOC as well, and sir, how are you doing? Thank you so much for doing this. I am excellent. Well, we're so excited to have you on today, and uh, this is a real honor for me to get to talk with you, and uh, I know our fans will be excited to listen to this, uh, but yeah, I jump right into everything. Uh, reimagine us, uh, and that's coming out soon, and, and we're so excited to get to talk with you about that as well. Um, and if you, just kind of, I guess, to start out the interview here, we'll start out talking about your new album here. Um, I guess first, my first question for you: I really love this album artwork. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that is a guy. I mean, uh, that is a guy that I've known for the last. 20 or so years. He's from Syracuse, New York, and his name is Richard Zoll, and he used to go by the name of Astro, and he's a, he's an engineer, and he's a very intelligent guy, and uh, of course, uh, got great taste because he loves boys to cult. So he came uh, to see me at a few shows, and we, we got to know each other, and then he started getting into uh, doing computer artwork, and uh, did a, a bunch of uh, pieces that kind of uh, referenced Blue Oyster Cult. And um, when I was doing this record, I said, I want, I, I wrote to him and I said, I want you to do the, the cover, you know, the front cover of the right. record. And so being the, uh, you know, he had a little bit of time, you know, between his engineering jobs. And so he, uh, he produced, I don't know, about 10 different covers, and they were all great. They were all great, but one really, you know, then you have to, you get this visceral reaction to things that you look at, and the, the one that I selected for the cover uh, was, um, you know, I really had a reaction to it. It was like, oh, I get, this, I get a vibe that feels just like the music. You know, I sent him uh, some uh, rough mixes, you know, 
you know, so he could have the music to listen to to, to be inspired. So sure. He came up with that, and it, it was great. And then he, uh, there was another one that I was going to use for the cover before that, before that one, you know, another one that gave me a feeling. And he said, well, I've got a different variation of that one. So I ended up using that for the back cover. You know the variation on the, you know, and I, I still have, I still have all of the other artwork. So who knows? It it might show up here and there. You know. Well, I really so love it. It's very striking. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's not a professional artist. He's a professional engineer, and he gets paid a lot of money to, uh, you know, to work on whatever it is. You know, roads or bridges or things like that. Right. You know. But uh, but yeah, he's uh, for amateur guy. He's pretty amazing. He's also a great photographer. And what you see in that uh, that artwork is almost all uh, manipulations of photos that he's taken. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I really like that. Yeah. Um, I think everything, everything but the ship. The ship is a, is a piece of art, but everything else is. Uh, well, it's fantastic. It's really cool. I love that artwork. Um, and then to talk about your new album, um, any kind of specific inspiration behind this record or anything? Where were you going with it when you started working on it? Or? Well, yeah. I mean, the record is basically a record that... Uh, uh, the idea for the record was pretty... Be a blue oyster cult, you know. It was something that I found out, you know, when I met Sandy Perlman in 1967. He started telling the story about, uh, you know, this uh, this character that finds a mirror that, you know, that ultimately changes history, you know, uh, for the for the better and the worse. And uh, and over the time that I was in Blue Oyster Cult, he started. Um, putting the, this idea into song lyrics. And one of the first songs was a song called Blue Oyster Cult. And <clears throat> at the time, we were like, oh, no, we can't. I don't know how to, you know, how to make this into a song. There's way too many words, you know. It just doesn't fit into it, you know. It's sure. not, you know, we weren't trying to be Bob Dylan, you know what I mean? Right. So, <clears throat> so uh, we didn't do it. And then, of course, when we were signing the Columbia contract, uh, uh, we couldn't decide on the name. We were in we were in the CVS. We're you know we're ready to sign the contract, and they said, "Well, we need a band name to go on the contract because you know we're not going to call it Softwood Underbelly. We'd already given up that name. We weren't going to call it Stock Forest Group because we'd already put out some records as that, and uh, they bombed." So we wanted a new, fresh new name, and we, we couldn't decide. So we told Sandy Perlman and our co-producer on uh, the first uh, co-manager and producer, Murray Krugman, uh, we told them, you two guys go in a room and don't come out until you've got a name for us. And they said, okay. And they went into the room. They came out literally 30 seconds later, laughing hysterically and saying, okay, we've got it. It's Blue Oyster Cult. And we're like, no, <laughs> but you said, so that's how we became Blue Oyster Cult. And of course, we didn't do the song right away because we didn't want a song that was going to define us, you know, it's a, you know, this was supposed to be the definition of Blue Oyster Cult, but of course, 
It was, and eventually uh, Eric Bloom wrote the lyrics, uh, wrote the song rather, and he took out half the lyrics. Okay. Literally half of the half of the words are, were gone, and he made this song called, and he didn't want to call it Blue Oyster Cult, so he called it Subhuman, uh, and that is on the Secret Treaties record. But, um, you know, so it's been a, a long time, and so when I left the group in 1981, the end of 81, uh, the manager said, don't worry, I, I've been working on a record deal because they didn't want to do it, you know, the whole album. They just, you know, they did a song here and a song there, but they didn't want to do the whole album. So I've got you a three record deal for three double records and they're all going to be part of this concept record. And I'm like, you know, if you want. And I'm like, yes, yes, let's do it. You know, so I started recording the first record, you know, Imagine Those. And it stalled, you know, the record company didn't want to put it out, they didn't have any faith, you know, the people that had signed me, you know, it took so long to get it done, sure. you know, by 1985, you know, everybody that had been a part of signing me had, had gone on to other companies and they were no longer at Columbia, so, uh, so eventually uh, we, uh, you know, Sandy was able to talk me and the rest of Blue Oyster Cult into putting it out as Blue Oyster Cult Records. But the, the record company wouldn't uh, approve a double record, a do, you know, a double vinyl. So, uh, so they had to fit it all onto one album. And so they took out a couple songs and uh, they put it on, you know, on the album. And of course the album doesn't sound very good because uh, it's only, it's, it's a, See, it's a vinyl record, and it and it you can't really only put about forty minutes on there, and it was at forty eight minutes. So the last two songs on each side were totally distorted, and I, I was really very dis, you know disappointed about that. I was disappointed that uh, you know that the album really didn't get any promotion whatsoever, and uh, and I was you know I was also disappointed in myself that I I wasn't able to. Uh, do it the way that I wanted to. And of course, you're, you're referring to that was Imaginos, right? Yes, the original Imaginos record. So, uh, it, number one, it wasn't my solo record, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it was good in a way because I've been trying to get these guys to put out this record for a long time. But then, on the other hand, it wasn't really a Blue Oyster Cult record because. Uh, they weren't playing on it. They, you know, they overdubbed some vocals on some, you know, they erased some of the, well, or, or did alternative vocals for some of the songs. So it was Eric and, and Buck and, and John Rogers saying, instead of me or Joey, Joe Sarasano, because, uh, you know, when Columbia was complaining about the vocals, I was like, okay, I'll get the best singer in New York City to sing it, you know, which was Joe. Joe Sarasano, uh, and uh, he went on to be the most in-demand jingle singer. You know, every beer commercial from 1985 to 1995 was was him. You know, you know, or you know, or a cornflakes commercial or whatever. You know, he was all. You know, you couldn't turn on the TV without hearing his voice. Right. You know, it's very, yeah. 
So, uh, and he's still a great singer. So, even though he's retired now. So, but uh, so that was disappointing, and it was you know, and also I I would thought that it was going to launch my solo career, which it did not. You know, as a matter of fact, I I had to I got out of the music business for several years. You know, and uh, and actually and ended up having another career as a school teacher. Oh, wow. I went back to school and got my, my uh, degree and I got a teacher's license as a music teacher. And I worked for 31 years in the New York City public health, uh, public school system, you know, teaching in high school. Well, to so, rewind with you that a was, sec, that, that's, that's incredible. I've got to ask you this. So was the last yeah. album when you were in BOC, so it was Fire the Unknown Origin? Yes, that was the last actual BOC record that I played on. Yeah, until this new one, of course. Right, right. But to, can we talk about that one a second? I love that record. Um, I saw you guys actually on that tour when I was like seven years old. So, wow, wow. Um, yeah, my yeah. uncle was a huge fan. I'm a huge fan um, of the band. And yeah. I wanted yeah. to tell you what how awesome I love that re- that record is so good and and. Uh, uh, the the Psychic War song, man, that was in heavy metal. I, I love that song. Yeah, yeah, that is a great a great song. As a matter of fact, that was I what I would consider to be Eric Bloom's best vocal, maybe ever. But you know, I mean, he's come close to that sound on the new record. But yeah, he he really did a great job on that. I mean, he he. You know, he was coming into his own, I think, as a singer when we did that record. So his his performance on that was fantastic. And I'll say something else, just but, a fun memory when I was a kid was, was, I think, the first time I ever heard your band, and I always thought this was the coolest thing in the world, um, was that uh, Don't Fear the Reaper was playing in the original Halloween movie. Now, was that something at the time when they did that? Did you know that? Did you know that that they were going to put that song in there? Were you all aware of that? Like when it was in the film? We did not. We did not know until the film came out, and we were kind of shocked. And uh, the management, of course, was like, "Well, you know, you have to pay us. You know, we did, we didn't we were sync license. We could sue you, but you know." It's just a small film. It's independent. You know, it wasn't a major studio, so John Carpenter didn't have a whole lot of money to do it. So he said, "Well, what about if I give you five hundred bucks?" And we said, "Okay." <laughs> so that's what happened. And we said, "Okay." You know, it's a pretty good film, so uh, we're proud to be associated with it. And it's of course, it worked awesome. out with him. You know, you know, he that put him on the map. He's a huge fan of your old band too. I've seen him in multiple interviews, yeah. still plugging Blue Oyster Cult. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Now with heavy metal, with like Psychic Wars, was that something you all were approached with from the from Electra when that soundtrack came out, or how did that work? No, uh, that actually because I was a big comic book fan, and so and I uh, whenever I would go out on tour. If I had a day off, I would find the comic book store and the, and, the, and the town, and I would try and buy, you know, comic books that I wouldn't see normally. And so when I was in France, I uh, had some days off, and I found a comic book store. You know, I think one of the promoters knew that I was 
into that, and he took me to a comic book store in France, and I saw this uh, comic called Metal Hurlant. That's what it was called. Metal okay. Hurlant. I still have the copies. And so that thing had Mobus and all these people that ended up, uh, you know, they they translated the, the, all of their comics into English, and it became Heavy Metal Magazine. But right. even before that, they were going to make this heavy metal movie. And uh, so uh, I had a, a friend. He was a, a music critic from Cincinnati, Ohio. His name is Brad Balfour. Yeah. And he knew the people at the the English heavy metal magazine who were behind the movie. And he said, uh, you know, I think that Blue Oyster Cult would be great, you know, on the soundtrack. And and so then we started talking, and I and he said, "Listen, I can get you the um, I can get you the storyboards for the entire movie." So he gave That's me awesome. a copy of the storyboards, and uh, so I brought them to practice. And I said, "You know what? Let's try and and write songs. Every song on Firebun on an Origin was originally configured to go." in certain spots and we actually had it all figured out and of course we presented uh, the album to the heavy metal people and they they were like well you know we all already got stuff from don hanley and you know from um, i don't know i can't remember sammy hagar and you stuff know, yeah the, yeah yeah sammy hey they'd already got these things and they were like we want to have a lot of different popular groups so it it'll be a big hit you know, so, and not just Blue Oyster Cult because they didn't have, you know, but they said, but we do want to use two songs. We want to use uh, um, Vengeance, you know, they wanted to use uh, Veterans of the Psychic Wars and also Burnham View. And we said, well, no, you know, we're going to, if you don't take all of them, you can only have Veterans, you know, and so that's how that got on there. That's that's a song that actually Michael Moorcock wrote the lyrics. Really, that was the the third the third song of Michael Moorcock's that we had done. We did uh, Great Sun Jester on Mirror's record and Black Blade on Cultosaurus, and then this was the third album album in a row that we we're using Michael Moorcock's lyrics. So, you know, we knew about him through uh, through Hawkwind, of course, but we also know. You know, Eric was a big fan of his even before, you know, he was in a band, you know, when Michael was first writing sci-fi. Sure. And he wrote the uh, Elric series, which, you know, is where Black Blade came from. And, as a matter of fact, how things go, you know, just like as we wanted Blue to Cult to do Imaginos, and they ended up doing it, uh, last last year, uh, I worked with the guys in Blue to Cult, well, Specifically, uh, uh, Buck Dharma and Richie Castellano, and my brother Joe, and uh, and a whole other bunch. You know, people from Hawkwind and all this on a Spirits Burning record. Now, Spirits Burning is a collective, uh, and the guy that heads it is uh, somebody named Don Falcone from San Francisco. Okay, and he's put out a, I think like seventeen or eighteen Spirits Burning records of which I've contributed to three at this point, but 
uh, I'd say it was about 2017, he approached me about doing this trilogy of records with Michael Moorcock. And usually I would contribute like one song to his record, you know, or part, you know, play on somebody else's song or something. But this one I said, well, you know, given my history with Michael Moorcock and how well those songs have turned out for Blue to Cult, I'd like to get more involved, you know. I, I, he said, well, I'll, I, I'll, I'll give you four songs to do, you know. And how it worked was that every chapter of the book uh, would have a song for it. And there were 16 chapters in that book, so we had 16 songs. And uh, I did four, and then said, you know what, can you give me a couple more? So I did I did a couple more. I ended up writing uh, music to 12 out of, either music or lyrics to 12 out of the 16 songs. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was like a whole album's worth. So, and then, then we did another one uh, last year, in 2019, where Eric Bloom, uh, Danny Miranda, Jules Regino, everybody else in Blue Eyes Cult is now on us, plus, plus Bob Donna and G and myself and my brother Joe, and, uh, a whole bunch. So this next one is coming out uh, December 7th, I believe, and that's going to be even better. So this is going to be the, the next one of the series, and we're already working on the, the last one. So Wow, that's really uh, cool. So... Yeah, yeah so... Let me reconfirm with you this, because this just blows my mind. So, Fire the Unknown Origin, technically, if I wanted to, I could just sit and watch heavy metal, and it could have been the whole soundtrack. Yes. That's yes, incredible. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And Bell, Fred Balfour is still writing. He writes for Huffington Post now. So. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's amazing. So, um, yeah, and he lives in New York City, yeah. That's incredible. Do you have yeah. a favorite uh, Blue Oyster Cold album? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, when we had the uh, the the reunion show, which is in 2012, when the original five members were all back on stage together playing some songs at uh, this 40th anniversary concert, uh, somebody uh, brought in "On Your Feet or On Your Knees," which was our first live record, and every one of us said, "That's my favorite record." Really? Everyone, all five of us agree that that is our favorite record of all the records we made. It's the one with quartz and all. There's no, you know, there's uh, maybe a couple overdubs. I think I overdubbed my vocal on Cities on Flame, and that's about it. So it, it's warts and all record. You know, there's a little bit of editing, but not much. So, but we like it. It showed you that, you know, they really accurately portrayed the power of the group when he played live. Do you have a specific, uh, was there a specific tour that you remember doing that you had the most fun on? Yes. And now I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was the, when we toured with the Hunter Ryan Band. Okay. Because they, those guys are so much fun. We would, we would get to the gig and we would end up hanging out with them for the entire gig and, and afterwards too. And then we'd get in the bus in the morning together, you know, you know, and it was Nick Ronson going, all right, dad, let's get going here. <laughs> you know, 
or you know, you know, whereas you know, four hours earlier, is, you know, you're in the bathroom, and, you know, and he's putting his face right in your face and going, "You're fucking great, laddie," and <laughs> 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 totally out of his tree, right? And then the next morning, he's like, "All right, lads, let's go." <laughs> I wanted to tell you, I remember visiting New York as a child. And this would this had to have been like late seventies, and I'm hoping you can tell me kind of what time frame this was. I remember you guys having a fucking billboard. Ah, on the Long Island Expressway. That is correct, sir. Yeah, that would have been about seventy-eight, I think. Seventy-eight, seventy-nine, maybe. That's the th- that is the coolest thing I remember seeing as a kid, like because I was so into the band, and I remember I remember seeing that and just being yeah absolutely blown away yeah we we got a couple billboards we had one right outside the town and we also had one on sunset strip in la really was it now was it the same billboard no no the one in long island said welcome to long island home of noise the cult the one in la was i don't know uh, it was something like uh you know just promoting a new record or something i can't remember what la one said but yeah, I remember two billboards, as I recall. Two huge billboards. I just absolutely remember seeing that as a kid, and and I remember, and I my uh, my aunt was originally from like the Connecticut area, and I remember we were driving up through New York, and uh-huh. and I remember seeing that billboard, yeah. and my uncle was like, "Look, look, look, look up there," and I remember seeing. It. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, anyway. Yeah, we're, I want to get back to the new record. Oh, please, yes, please, please, I'm sorry. Yes, because I, I sort of went on a digression about that. Well, no, I appreciate record, you doing it. Uh, the new record is uh, uh, me taking that Imaginos record and, right. number one, re- restoring the uh, songs that were left off it, and, number two, uh, trying to do it in a way that more reflected what Sandy Perlman originally wanted this record to sound like, which was much more folky sounding and, uh, you know, with harmonies and, um, but a simpler arrangement. The, the Blue Oysicote version was a, basically a wall of sound, and that's what I wanted. I wanted a wall of sound for this thing because I thought that this, this concept was so massive that it had to be very big. And Sandy was like, yeah, you know, it really should sound like a, a you know a nursery rhyme or a, a, a folk music you know is just more friendly and and uh, you know telling of a tale because that's right. how it started out with right. telling us a tale so uh that with that thought in my mind and also because sandy passed away in 2016 i you know i start you know i always i still miss him right so this was really a tribute you know, to Sandy and how Sandy originally wanted it. I just was like, I know he was frustrated, you know, with what what eventually came out as the record, even though he was very proud of it. Still a little frustrated because I felt like, you know, people just didn't quite get it. You know, you know, the critics loved it. You know, the guys in Metallica loved it. Everybody liked it, but it didn't sell. And it got no promotion in it. And it, you know, might have been a hard sell. I don't know. You know, the the, the record company was telling us, you know, that, that this was they were having going to have a hard time. So when I did this one, everybody's been it's almost universal approval. You know, and, uh, it's so, great. 
it's kind of very, very nice and gratifying to see that happen, you know, and I'm sure that Sandy would be very happy. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, and I mean, I it's got to be frustrating to have to wait this long to get it the way that you wanted it to, so. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, originally the idea was that I was going to, um, you know, have a band and tour with this, and it was going to be a springboard for my solo career. Now, I'm, that's not the goal anymore. The goal is to really, well, it still is the goal that I can go out and play the songs. That's pretty much what I wanted to do, because a lot of the songs had never, ever been played live, and some of them have still never been played live. But uh, uh, I started doing that, I had a live stream, I was doing that in, uh, well, I started last September, and, uh, you know, and did it all the way into the uh, beginning of the pandemic, but uh, I stopped doing that because I, I realized that I needed to rearrange the songs a little bit more to make it more friendly to a smaller group, which basically at this point now is just the bass player and myself. Right. You know, the other other people, you know, my brother Joe plays trumpet on a couple songs. That's I awesome. A, a fiddler from from uh, from Florida, uh, Greg Holt. Oh, cool. Uh, he played it on a couple songs and uh, had uh, a, a guitar player from Nashville, you know, all, uh, you know, mostly remotely, you know, uh, this guy, R.J. Rockillo, who's an internet star, he's got like 100,000 subscribers, and, you know, he's out, you know, he posts multiple videos every week, you know, a lot of uh, gear reviews because the record companies love him because he can make their, their stuff sound great. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, and I, I've known him for a few years, you know, just uh, on, um, uh, uh, just over the internet, right? You know, sure. YouTube, basically. And uh, then I, I got to see him play at the NAM, uh in January, this past January. And I was like, I got to get this guy on my record, man. He, he does, he plays the licks that I think of, but I can't play. Right. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a little, you know, really a very good uh, uh, guitarist. So, and then I had uh, uh, some other guitar players. I lost the boss play on one song. For Man of War, yeah. And, yeah, right. And uh, actually, and the Dictators, and uh, right before I had him play, we, he had asked me if I wanted to play drums on the new Dictators record. <laughs> That's and awesome. So, uh, we so I said and I said oh yeah yeah but I'm just doing this other record and he's like oh you gotta let me play I said okay you know I got one song I got left you know let's you know see what you can do so he he did some guitar it's on first it's the first cut it's I'm the one you warned me of and uh, you know but uh, you know and then we went into the studio and started you know once the once you could get into a studio you know the three of us uh, myself Ross and Andy Chernoff went in and recorded uh, uh, four songs in a day, and uh, you know, and, and we've been working on that. So the first single is coming out, uh, I think, week after next. I believe. Let me look at my calendar. That's awesome. The Gators, twenty seventh, yeah, twenty seventh. That's when they plan to put it out. It's being mixed right now, so excellent. Uh, if we got a Ed Stady, Ed Stady. Ed Stacy 
Awesome. much uh the plan you know i have a um have another single coming out you know we had black telescope come out a couple weeks ago right and uh, actually uh, almost, one, one two three weeks ago so next week we're i'm having another single which is going to be uh blue oyster cult excellent finding finding songs though so, uh that will be out next week, and hopefully we'll have a video to go along with it. Uh, we're actually shooting the video this weekend, so excellent. Well, hey, what we can get done. It's supposed to rain, so oh well. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. You know how that is. It's crazy weather right now, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. Well, we need the other video, the black telescope. We made that in the apartment. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah, just because you know. We're sitting around home, you know, there was nothing to do but shop online, so. Right. And everything comes in cardboard these days, so. That's true. We uh, recycle the cardboard into uh, props for our video. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. That is amazing. Thank you so much for this. I'm so sorry for the technical difficulties on my end. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go get my phone looked at today. <laughs> okay, very good. Good luck with that. Thank you for Concludes another episode of Godless Heathens. I want to thank my special guests today, any guests that we ever have, and all the companies that I'm kind of borrowing their stuff from. If I watched a movie or listening to a clip or watching a video, whatever I did, thank you so much. And thank you for the listener for checking out Godless Heathens. And always look for me on Phantasm Podcast, the home of Dr. Vincent West, medical doctor in Corey